Hey all, thanks for joining us. Like we mentioned in our bit of a teaser, we're gonna kind of go through some of the origin stories of, of what P1 was and some of the lessons learned along the way. We've got a great guest for you today who I'll let introduce himself in just a minute, but I think what you'll notice is that what really guided us was this common purpose, like why are we here? Uh, and that allowed all of the dominoes to fall to actually make things happen. One of the guys who is somewhat central to that and getting people in the room to talk to each other is uh, Rob Slaughter. So he's gonna be our first guest today, Rob. Thanks, Drew. As Drew mentioned, Rob Slaughter here, a prior Air Force veteran, um, had worked Platform One since since before it was called Platform One. Uh, now continue to support the, the DoD software ecosystem. Uh, currently the CEO of a small tech startup called Defense Unicorns and work a lot with a Navy software factory uh, known as Project Blue. Awesome, Rob. Well, we're really excited to have you. So you had somewhat mentioned with Platform One since before Platform One. So it all kind of started in some regards uh, with Space Camp. Can you tell us why Space Camp came into existence? Yeah, I'll actually, um, you know, talk a little bit. One of the things I really want to just stress to people is a lot of these innovation efforts that that people identify with and resonate with and sort of champion, such as, you know, Kessel Run or Platform One or Afworks or a lot of these other organizations, they, they are almost never intended. Um, very, very rarely does somebody say, hey, you know what we need? Uh, this really cool thing that's going to deliver value. Um, more times than not, these organizations are started by self-forming teams, um, people with the passion and the skills and, and honestly, the heart to sort of pick themselves back up after uh, they encounter the system fighting back against them repeatedly. Um, Platform One is no different. Um, so Platform One was never, was never, at least when I was there, congressionally funded. Um, it was never actually a program of record. Um, all of its billets were stolen and, and everybody uh, just kind of fell in love with the problem. Um, you know, for me, uh, I was actually at the time with another software factory known as Space Camp. Um, Space Camp was started because we were, uh, you know, really trying to model the great things that Kessel Run did, but we wanted to do it with a tech baseline that the government could say was, was its own. Um, you know, we were huge in the open source uh, ecosystem and community. And we sort of started out with a, you know, can we develop a platform in a software factory using only open source tools? Um, and, you know, not that there was anything against leveraging a COTS product uh, here or there, um, but just that could, could we do it? Because at the time, um, people didn't think we, we could, and we felt it was important that if software factories were going to scale, that the government actually owned its own baseline. Awesome. Yeah, it was... Uh... Really cool to, to come in a little bit later and join the team, because uh, when I walked into the room that first day, I got the sense that everyone was there because they wanted to solve the problem we were trying to solve. Uh, and it didn't just feel like another job. Maybe it's just because I've never worked at a startup before having come out of the DoD, uh, but it was definitely a unique experience that the team was able to, uh, to cultivate. Um, so shifting gears a little bit, a slightly different origin, if you will, around the same time. Uh, Austin, can you talk us through what was happening in San Antonio and, and why the team was rallied together down there? Sure. So I, uh, I got to San Antonio as my third assignment in the Air Force. My background was in software development, but as a typical engineer, eight years prior to that, uh, at least during my government service, I had done none, no software development whatsoever, had worked at different program management jobs and then a, a stint at satellite operations. 
And I thought I was going to go work on um, kind of offensive cyber things, which I was excited about to get back in the software realm. Um, instead, I showed up and I was switched to a different program called Unified Platform. Um, and at the time, they, they were getting started. Um, their, first, their first source selection was wrapping up. They were kind of forming the team. And I was kind of asked, uh, go, go do a Kessel run, kind of like you heard Rob mention. Uh, Kessel run was definitely kind of the, the guiding light of like how to do software differently in the DoD. And just coming fresh off the operational side, I was definitely uh, right for the picking because I was frustrated with a lot of the software that myself and the airmen that I was leading um, had to use for actual you know, wartime operations. And so I, I knew nothing about Kessel Run. I did, had never heard of DevSecOps or Kubernetes, although I had developed software eight years prior, but all those things had changed a lot. I didn't have my head in the ecosystem anymore. Um, so I went out to Kessel Run, kind of saw what they were doing at one of their engagement days. I came back and then I just spent um, a lot of time within our program office trying to create the same thing. You know, the, the team that we had wasn't really familiar with it either. So I just remember a lot of, of trying to enable and explain to others how things could be different. Um, and there was a lot of kind of internal um, fight against that, just inertia about how things could always be done. And I, I didn't quite know that things could be done differently. I, I was kind of stuck personally in this of like, I've never done this before, but I know what they want me to do, yet I feel like I don't have the tools I need to do that. And I was striving, I was striving the best I could to accomplish something, you know, we kind of, I'll say it was the blind leading the blind wandering around for about a year as we started what we ended up calling level up uh, a software factory that was to deliver cyber capabilities. And at one point, and I'm not even sure how it ended up on my desk or in my inbox, I think uh, Lieutenant Cody Paul was actually the one who found it. But the Space Camp Survival Guide, um, which was a funny name document to me at the time, uh, ended up at my desk. And I read through it and it was like 10 pages or so. And it was very, it was written very lighthearted about how we could do software development, the DOD. And there was a name in there that said Rob Slaughter. And I was like, I'm going to email this guy. And in typical Rob fashion, I'd never met him before, but he's like, Hey, you should just come out to Colorado for a day. And we should talk about this. And it seems like he knew what he was doing. So I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll give that a, a try. Uh, mostly because I was, I was personally just really frustrated with the progress we weren't making, um, even though I knew we could do better. Um, so that that's kind of how uh, level up started, and also how I how I met Rob. Yeah, awesome. And in that first trip to to Colorado, hopefully you came on Waffle Wednesday, which wasn't actually a Wednesday. Um, but I think I think you guys pretty quickly learned that you shared some some common values. I mean, you've touched on them a little bit today already, right? Valuing the people that do the work to actually get us there, so we can enable them. Because uh, at the end of the day, it's the team that that does all of this work. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit, uh, we'll start with you, Rob, like where are your passions from like this software delivery, uh, maybe frustrations, pain points before that drove your passions uh, and why you're passionate about CD? Yeah, I would actually say that, you know, even more so than software, uh, what, what we're passionate about is defense of the nation. Um, you know, not that there aren't plenty of, you know, contractors and civilians who who provide massive, massive benefit. Um, but a lot of the innovations that you see occurring across the department and, and at that time in the Air Force were really airmen led. Um, and so I think more than anything, we were just passionate about making our jobs suck less um, because all of us had terrible assignments. We spent most of our time fighting with Microsoft Office products um, trying to get networks connected, trying to, to get different things to just simply work. And it didn't make sense to us 
that we could go home and and at the time I was you know making different apps and releasing them on iPhone and Android and and it didn't make sense to me that I could go home and and write some code and release something and and get you know hundreds of thousands of people to to use something but when I went to work I couldn't write a script to to help or automate my job whatsoever um, and so it seemed like a complete contradiction to, to the way society had, had moved. And I think what had happened is enough people within the Department of Defense finally started getting the skill sets that was necessary to make a difference. But I think what united us was the fact that, you know, at the end of the day, we were just airmen. Um, and we were committed to seeing the mission be successful. And, and we felt like, the way things were structured that the nation wasn't going to succeed. And, and we felt like, um, you know, maybe we wouldn't be successful, but we would really regret not trying. And so there was a small window of opportunity. And I, I think everybody just kind of uh, tried to run through it as fast as we could. Awesome. Thanks, Rob. Uh, Austin, I'm going to pose the same question to you. What, what kind of drives your passion in this area? Yeah, I think Rob touched on a lot of it. Um, you know, as a software developer who came into the Air Force at 22 and was working at a program office, I was horrified at the tools that were given to us and the authorities we had to like make our lives and other people's lives better. Um, and I thought that was unique to program office life. And I was like, well, on the operational side of the Air Force, I'm sure it's way better. Um, and then I went to a space operation assignment. And quite frankly, I still remember my first time walking onto the ops floor and seeing the software that the airmen were using. And I was, I was quite frankly, I was horrified, uh, both the hardware and the software that was out there. Um, and I honestly, I couldn't believe it. I was like this, and I won't get into the specific uh, mission that we were doing there, but it was a very important one to our defense, not only ours, but our allies uh, worldwide. And there was a specific issue that happened in my four years there. I was effectively, uh, now that I've been on the software side, I'll call it basically IT ops or SRE type work. Uh, we were anomaly managers for the ground and satellite systems on the operational side, meaning that if something went wrong with the system, they called us in and we worked it until resolution and we went home. And there was a specific issue we had throughout the four years and we had lots of them, but there was one where we, we completely botched the mission um, not, and completely misled the warfighter in a way that's actually extremely dangerous and it got a lot of people's attention. Um, and the root cause, in my opinion, was literally the UI that the airman was using and making time critical decisions. Like the colors were too similar for them to tell them apart, like on a midshift with their eyes. And they blamed, and the first instinct in the military is to blame the individual, right, or the process, not not the actual tools that we gave them. Um, so not only did we mislead the warfighter, we also wanted to hold an airman accountable who, you know, in my opinion, it wasn't their fault at all. And then we'd go through this discussion of like taking pay, like money out of people's paychecks for errors or misleading warfighters. And to me, I was, I felt like the only crazy person in the room. I'm like, man, if we just delivered modern software or just pushed a software update and like, you know, once every week or two, instead of every six months or year, we could fix this problem. And it, and it honestly, even that specific problem took six months to resolve. And all they do instead is lay on checklist upon checklist upon checklist for people. And you start loading up cognitive load higher and higher and higher on people that are already stretched really thin. And we just keep putting band-aids around the problem instead of solving the root cause. Um, and so that, you know, I, I still think about that every single day when I come to work and try to fix the software problem. 
Um, it's about it's about just delivering better for the airmen that are operating the mission and also the warfighters that are out there in harm's way. And I think um, been lucky to partner with a bunch of people who saw an opportunity to make a, a, a pretty big change to that. And every day just tried to do um, whatever I could to contribute to that fight and just find other people who want to be part of it, too, for the same reasons. Yeah, thanks, Austin. I'll layer in a little bit of my experience as well. I'm just going to echo everything you guys have said. Uh, and maybe add a little bit of my own flavor because I, I had served about four and a half years on active duty as a, a 6-2 and acquisitions officer as well. Um, and I remember my first assignment, I had to learn VBA because it was the only option available to me. Uh, certainly powerful enough for what I needed it to do, uh, but there, there has to be better answers out there, right? Um, and then as well as that in the two assignments that I had, having tried to watch and help shepherd software acquisitions through all of those hurdles, through all of the process where when something goes wrong, instead of removing steps, we add more steps. Um, it's just incredibly frustrating. Uh, and the lack of the UCD aspect uh, for one of the particular projects, whenever they presented it in front of the users as they were getting their final certificate to field to, to put it on an ATO system, we're like, cool, thanks for developing this. We're not going to use it. It doesn't meet our needs kind of thing, right? And so just having like, all of that experience where I think the DOD gets in their own way of allowing people to actually deliver that value to the mission operators. Cause I think everybody wants to provide values, valuable software and nobody shows up at work and is like, how can I write some code that no one will ever use so I can put that in production today. Right. Um, so hearing about some of those problems and, and actually when Rob and I met up and he was telling me about some of the early plans of space camp. And as some of this was forming, got me really excited. Um, Okay, so we've established that we have uh, common values. Apparently, we're all, you know, related. Maybe it's the shared experiences that got us to where we are. Uh, but how do we how do we form those common values into something uh, that works? So I've heard about a DevOps or DevSecOps Summit in early or mid-2019. Can somebody kind of talk through uh, what that looked like and why the team was able to form into what it turned into for Platform One? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of that was really uh, Lauren's doing, Lauren Nossenberger, who's now the Air Force CIO. Um, so at the time, um, Nicholas Shalon had been working um, as a advisor to OSD and the co-chair to the um, DevSecOps reference design. It, it was still sort of early stages. Maybe the first draft was out, um, but he had, at the time had been uh, interviewing all the software teams across the department and, and probably did a better job than, than anybody has, um, you know, for sure at that time, if not even still currently, of just not caring what um, service the software team worked for and just having a conversation with them. Um, and, and what he sort of discovered and was sharing with people was like, hey, everybody's building almost the same thing and nobody's sharing anything. Um, you know, we have 200 different programs that are, you know, these massive ACAT one-like programs that um, are almost doing the exact same thing, um, just slightly different and nobody's even talking. Um, and, and so he uh, was, was able to, to work with, uh, Will Roper on the Air Force side, um, who was the acquisition lead for the Air Force at the time, and 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 Dr. Roper 
I think persuaded him to go to the Air Force uh, for really full support of, of you know, his DevSecOps initiative. Um, I, I I'd never met Nick. Um, I think I maybe talked to him once. And it was really Lauren Nossenberger uh, who was trying to rally the community together. There was organically formed software factories. There was folks like Bespin and Level Up and Space Camp and um, you know, we already mentioned, you know, Kessel Run and, and there was the software engineering groups, the SWEGS and Ski Camp and all of these groups started um, either coming into existence or about ready to form. And Lauren was like, let's all just get together. Um, we all met at, out at uh, Catalyst Campus in Colorado Springs and, and really just shared ideas. Um, you know, I think Nick had been in the Air Force for about a month. Um, so he had officially transitioned over. Um, and, and we kind of laid out for him what we were doing at space camp. And I, I had never read his reference design uh, until that week of the summit and sort of became to realize that everything that he was talking about in, in the reference design were, were things that, you know, at space camp specifically, you know, Jeff McCoy and Matt Houston had already started to implement for us. Like, you know, you had service mesh technologies, we were already in Kubernetes, we were running CI pipelines. I mean, everything that they talked about was already integrated in our stack um, and, and was live in production at the time. Um, and so it was, it was great to see everybody who was working on almost the same thing. And, and it was really in many ways the, you know, posed the question, um, you know, what happens next? Do we keep just talking to each other or do we sort of take the collaboration a step further? Awesome. Thanks, Rob. And Austin, I'm going to ask for your perspective too, because I know we've talked about this before and it was a little bit of potentially rewiring your brain a little bit, right? The way these people operated and, and got things done by basically willing things into existence was was different. Can you talk about your experience at, at that summit? Yeah, I had been working with Nick when he was at the, the uh, as, a, as an advisor before he came to the Air Force job, like Rob had mentioned, he was involved with Unified Platform and some of the things we were doing. Uh, but we knew he was headed towards the Air Force. And so honestly, I didn't feel like I was cool enough to be invited to the party. But Nick kind of uh, extended it. I was like his plus one in some ways, or maybe we had a plus three from our program office. But it definitely felt that way because I, I had just met Rob, Jeff, and Matt like a week or two before um, and didn't realize that this was going on the two weeks after or whatever it was. And then we came back out there. Um, and I just remember the sense of like belonging that I felt, quite frankly. I don't know how to describe it a better way. Like in San Antonio, I felt like a black sheep trying to change and pursue some of these things. And then I, I, I walked into the room with this group of people in with July of 2019, what it was. And I, I just kind of felt like I had found my people, right? Not only like just for like the way we'd already talked about the shared passion and values, but also just a room full of really, really smart people from a bunch of different organizations, right? And I think it was really awesome to hear Nick and Lauren both uh, there to listen as well, not just talk about their ideas, but they were listening to a group of people who were at the, the ground level, if you will, trying to implement change. And I think it opened their eyes a little bit to what it's like to not be an SES in the, in the Air Force. And, and just really how bad it could be at the edge trying to deliver capability. Um, so it was it was just awesome to feel that sense of belonging and and have that conversation and have it open ended. I also you know level up at the time was working with Nick to try to do this concept of Iron Bank, which is effectively securing the supply chain at the software application level for a bunch of different reusable tools. So the 
the idea of reuse across programs was kind of new to me, but we were thinking about it from an application perspective and then kind of using an opinionated platform to deliver it. Um, it wasn't until I met this other group of people that I was like, oh, there's a lot of people doing platform work. And really the platform and infrastructure is what's pretty repeatable. And for the, for the first time, like the Lego blocks or the pieces of the puzzle were coming together in my head of like, oh, there is a lot of repeatable stuff from different parts of kind of the OSI stack that we could be delivering together. And as, a, and as most people know that have been at program offices, like it takes us, especially when you start something new, typically it's expected to take 18 months or more to deliver any value whatsoever. And this concept finally in my head clicked after two days of conversation that like, if we tweak a little policy and put the right people together in a room, we can probably just make a repeatable stack for other people to use. So we can take that, that 18 months, I'll just use that number vaguely that's, in my, that's always been in my head uh, because it's relatable from my experience at Unified Platform and shrink it down to something less than 18 months, whatever that was going to be, right? And I think, uh, yeah, I guess the sense of belonging and the ideas were, were finally starting to gel in my head from that, that first conversation in, in 2019. Awesome. Thank you. So from that experience, uh, it sounds like from everyone involved, we kind of got the wheels in motion. Um, and we've talked a lot about our individual specific experiences and our particular whys, our purpose. Um, but I think it's hard hitting to know some of the, the numbers as well in the, in the realm. Um, Robin, this was one of my favorite things that you would always include in your pitch of why uh, when we were talking Space Camp and the transition into Platform One. Uh, so maybe a good place to kind of end this episode is is kind of sharing those numbers and, and why we think we can help uh, make things better. Yeah, so, you know, some of the statistics around large IT projects are kind of daunting. Um, so, you know, 94% of IT projects over $10 million fail. About 50% of those um, fail to deliver anything. And the other 45% um, are either um, significantly over budget or over time, um, which, is, which is kind of alarming because one would assume that the more expensive the project, the more serious it is. Um, but that's exactly the thing is the, the more expensive the project, the more complex it is, the more complex it is, the harder it is to deliver. Um, and and software is not getting easier. Software is not getting simpler. It's getting more and more and more complex as the ecosystem continues to build upon itself. And so some forms from, you know, an experience perspective, um, it may feel as if the experience is improving, yet when you look under the hood, it's actually becoming uh, more and more and more complex as additional things get layered on top of each other. So I don't think this is a problem that's going away. Um, luckily, we were fortunate enough to, to look across the ecosystem to leverage a lot of uh, Nick's work as well and came to the realization that really 80% of the tech stacks across program offices were identical, like exact same tools, exact same laydowns. Like there was very, very small variance across the teams. And, and so we kind of just looked at these statistics and, and said, you know, if 80% of the tech stack is already the same without any, any attempt at even collaborating, and yet 90, almost 95% of programs are, are failing, you know, why don't we actually collaborate on a common baseline and a common tech stack? Because if nothing else, if programs, you know, what we had observed is programs would start and they'd spend their first two years trying to build a platform and more times than not, they'd fail. 
or they'd barely succeed and then they would fail as they tried to eat their own dog food and um, realize that they didn't build it well enough or, or maybe they built it okay, but they didn't actually come up with a framework to continuously update it. And so by, you know, really just analyzing what the community was doing, um, our big idea, our big thought was provide a baseline that could be could exist in the open source community that we ourselves would use um, both the you know containers themselves, which Austin mentioned, which you know came from Iron Bank, as well as the baseline, which the Platform One team refers to as Big Bang, and get the entire community to collaborate on a common stack. Uh, because if nothing else, if a new program was starting, they'd have something to just pull off the shelf and use. Um, you know, I think the community is still uh, learning how to digest those things and how to use products like Iron Bank and Big Bang. Um, but if you compare where the community was, you know, two and three years ago, um, I'm pretty proud of everything that the DoD software community has accomplished. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Super powerful. Every time we have this conversation, I get chills. So hopefully our listeners do as well. So I think that wraps us up for today. Rob, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, Austin, thank you for your insights as well. Look forward to, to doing a few more rounds of these. Thanks, guys, for, for having me. And, um, you know, really appreciate just, just being a small part of the story and, and hope people are inspired. Um, I think the, the biggest thing I'd love to stress to everybody is, you know, the power of self-formed organic teams and, and the power of, of just trying. And so, you know, platform one was never, was never planned. Um, it's amazing, you know, what it is today, but it never would have got there without the power of, of really a group of airmen and, and a group of really inspiring senior leaders who saw the skills and had the passion to solve a problem. And so would, you know, I'm sure if, if you're listening to this, you're probably in the innovation ecosystem. And, and I would encourage you to uh, not, not take no for an answer, um, to keep asking the question until you find a yes.